Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Scene World Podcast. My name is AJ Heller. I'm also known as Derision in the Scene. Across the desk from me, about 6,000 miles away, is Jorg Drugi, NAFCOM in Scene World. Hello, AJ. I'm doing good. Hello. So in a little bit, we're going to be having an interview with a uh, preeminent German journalist, Lars Sobirai. He specializes in copyright and trademark and uh, social network security. He was also the editor for the Hugie Disc Mag. His roots are in the Amiga scene, where he was known as Gandhi until 2004. And we actually recorded this yesterday because of some scheduling issues and my dog's anal gland ruptures. So it ended up being more of a nice conversation than a strict interview, which I kind of like. And that'll be coming up in a little bit. But I figured that first we would kind of discuss just the state of the 64 scene and where things are going. Because we just recently had a discussion on our Scene World Facebook group concerning... Yeah, our secret internal one. Yeah. Yes, that none of you people can join because you're not cool enough. Um, <laughs> but we, we were having this, a discussion about the, the state of the NTSC scene and where it's going. And now I just did a demo in... Uh, when was that? April? I guess April I did the, the, a demo, which was my first in, oh, good Lord, 12, 13 years or so. And it really came about from the fact that I just needed to use some graphics that I had never actually done anything with. So I, I don't think the scene is dead per se, but some people seem to differ about that, especially mm. the NTSC scene, because that is, it, it has historically been a slow scene to begin with, and, and now there's not a whole lot being done at all. Well, um, well, you should know about the roots of Scene World. My idea of doing the Scene World magazine actually came from the fact that Driven magazine stopped. And I was like, oh my god, there's no anti-scene disc mag left. And I was left with the impression that, well, anti-scene is dead because all people from the Paul scene would tell me that. And this is why, why I started creating a wanted tag on our People of Liberty group homepage. I want to want to get in touch with the NTSC scene, and this is how how I got in touch with Faz, Dustin Jembers. And he he wrote me a simple email saying, "You found an NTSC sceneer. Here I am, because I just read you were looking for one." Then he gave me the email address of people like. Derision, well, AJ. Yeah, that's, and, that's me. Yeah. And um, Oliver Weyerbrook, who's Six, Robin Harper and Macbeth, and a few others. Oliver Weyerbrook's name is Six. He's not actually six years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the most known guy would be Cool Hand, Bill. So I wrote to everybody, and suddenly I got a lot of feedback, and like, whoa, yeah, let's do a disc mag. Why not? And, well, it's it all started with feedback from the policy and saying, you will never do more than three issues because this concept is crap. Nobody's interested in that. And the NTSC is dead anyway. Well, what can I say? We are now working on issue 23. We are by far not dead. We never have been more active than now. And we always get some NTSC response and news. I think there are things happening, otherwise we wouldn't get news. Or meeting reports, like from the Vintage Computer Festival, East 9.1, 9 
that happened in, in April, uh, in New Jersey, by the way. I also figured that a lot of game companies like RGCD and Cytronic, they are really happy and they always make sure that games are now anti-cheating. From my perspective, maybe things in the USA and Canada and, and so on are slow, but the NTSC scene is not dead. I think that there's a lot of um, what I see in the NTSC scene is I know that, that uh, the Phantom of Forces of Evil did put out an intro, which was, uh, you know, mine was, was just uh, uh, some graphics and a scroll text. And I think that's more or less what he did as well. It was just some graphics and a scroll text. But aside from that, the a lot of the people NTSC-wise are involved with with writing in, in a disc mag or two. Or we have a lot of these conventions, you know, the ECCC and the, the Vintage Computer Festival. And, and they, they really seem to be more active in a almost a spectator kind of a way where they're, they're watching what's happening and they're contributing to to the, the web pages and policing the, the, the CSDB and stuff like that rather than, than actually actively creating things. And we do have people that still create. Uh, again, I did some stuff and the Phantom did some stuff after a while and Moloch... Uh, John does some some things. Uh, th- th- there are groups like Retro sixty four in, in which you know D- uh, Dustin uh, Fuzz is in, and he does quite a bit as far as as far as being active. He's one of the the, the more active people. So it, there is some stuff going on. It's just not as I, I think. Kind of our pool of talent is almost we we don't have quite as many people as the PAL scene does. The PAL has PAL scene has all of Europe, and it's really they, people have stuck with it. And over here, it's, I guess, harder to keep doing it when you have not as many people producing. And every so often, we'll have a, a, a kind of a, a a resurgence in it. Like a few years back, uh, Wanderer came back, and he was one of the names from the old, you know, the 80s and early 90s. And he, he came back and caused some controversy and released a bunch of demos, and then he disappeared again. And... We'll have these moments where it really kind of picks up and people get excited about it again, and then it'll drop off and there will be nothing, you know, and, and, and then it'll pick up a little bit again and people will kind of get interested in it. But someone also made the comment that, that NTSC fixers only only fix to prove that they can rather than for any necessity. And while I kind of see the logic behind that because most of us have emulators and can run PAL or NTSC in an emulator without really needing to get it fixed. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's not a necessary art form, would you? No, no. And um, I personally have an NTSC uh, S664 myself to, to make sure I can test it on a real machine. What can I say? I mean, we have, uh, we have quite some, um, some people contributing on SeaWorld from the uh, NTSC scene, and that alone shows we are not alone here in Europe. We have, well, Oliver, we have Nick, always, who is doing the BBS stuff. Before John left again, from Jay Shaden, we, um, we had John. So mm-hmm. that's at least two people already. Yeah. And you. And yes, you, and, and so, me, and me, definitely. So, yeah. I'm, so I'm we have three NTSC guys. And H A will hopefully do this time the feedback chapter again. Oh yeah, I'll give that a shot. So 
NTSC Zine is not that. You can actually buy a game that is NTSC fixed on a cartridge or disc or tape, or you can look on occasionally appearing demos and releases. Right. Or you or you can read Zine World. That's right. And there was just recently news too that the uh, the Base Planet, which is one of the older um, older BBSs in NTSC, it was run by um, by uh, Scratcher, a good friend of mine, is is back up. It's on. Uh, on Telnet now, so you can connect to it. it the, the site is actually tbp.servebbs.com, and that would be on port 23. So if anyone wants to connect to that or happen to be on it back in the day, it's been picked up right where it left off. All the logins still exist, and every uh, everything is just as it was. It's still running on Seabase, so it's ready to go. Being run by somebody different, uh, Randy isn't running it anymore. He handed it off to his friend, but it is oh, running. Great. Hooray to Begat. There's nothing worse than starting from all over again. Yeah. Nobody cared to make a backup. Right. I keep thinking about going on there, but I don't have a... I don't, I don't think I have any kind of uh, software that'll do it. I've got to figure out how to finagle that, but... And I, <laughs> and I have to remember what my login information is, because I haven't been <laughs> on it in, like, 15 years. Scene world issue could be up there. Yes. Yes, it could. That is definitely. Yeah, we, we, we got we got Scorpion from uh, China who has mm-hmm. the official BBS running. Yeah, Scene World has really kind of grown out of being just a small NTSC and PAL disc mag into being kind of. Uh, I, I feel like it's almost the mainstream scene disc magazine because we've gotten recognized by Lodestar, which is really like the Commodore magazine. That's actually the first place I was ever published was on Lodestar, and so it was really, really kind of cool when they realized that we existed, and and I think they included one of our issues with theirs, yeah, and, and vice versa. The Wild Western, Wild Western special. Yeah, so that was that was really kind of nifty, and we've been, or Jorg anyway has been interviewed by by German radio for stuff, and so yeah, we've that was a long time ago. Yeah, but that's you know we've been. We've turned into from a, a a small NTSC and PAL disc magazine into really what I feel is one of the Commodore sixty four magazines that covers. I mean, we cover the the conventions and the, the parties and the the demo scenes and pretty much anything. The retro gaming stuff is uh, things that we look at. Whereas other other disc mags have have historically focused on the cracking scene or the demo scene or or whatever we kind of put everything together and try to cover all of it and there's really no limit you know i can go out and write an article tomorrow on something ridiculous that has nothing to do with anything and it'll it'll work and that's one of the 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 things that i like about the the magazine and that's one of the reasons we've kind of expanded it into this this podcast that we're trying out because we've got the website and we've got the disc magazine and we haven't tried doing a paper magazine yet though maybe that'll be next (laughs) well i mean it's also coming always with ideas of people actually like interviewing michael tomshek from commodore the ex-marketing manager he said oh why would we do an email interview why not recording it on skype video so this is how how we came up with the skype video interview and i mean hey Last time we had Jerry Ellsworth and Buzz Bear, who is 92, and people were like, oh my god. Right, and that's another great, way that we're kind what, of... Um, what, what, great, what great interviews, 
And um, now that we are more known and more, well, the base of NTC magazines, I, I would say, it's also easier to convince people to be interviewed. For example, um, Chris Craig from Epic, he was like, wow, great. I checked out your magazine. It's really wonderful. So no problem. You can interview me. So this is like awesome. Then somebody from the 80s who, who is responsible for, well, for the early game, Epic is a big name. You really feel awesome when, when somebody like that tells you they are doing a great job. It's like, woo. Absolutely amazing. And we've been, the, the magazine, Scene World, has not been afraid to kind of, whereas some of the other ones stick to that one little uh, a niche where they're a disc mag or a single file magazine or, you know, a PDF magazine or something. We've really kind of embraced everything to where we're a disc mag, but we're also, you know, we also do the, the YouTube interviews and now there's a podcast and we're really kind of trying to expand into as many things as as we can rather than just pigeonhole ourselves as a disc magazine that you know you can watch on an emulator or a real 64 but not really anything else so i i think that it's really kind of a a cool thing and we've gotten you know our first guest for our our very first podcast is really almost a a celebrity in this field he's kind of the go-to guy for social network security and and stuff in in the german press so it's kind of a really cool thing that we're kind of looked on so nicely where we can actually get someone interesting for our very first attempt at a podcast. Normally I'd be interviewing, you know, my cat or something, but... <laughs> oh, sorry. I tried to laugh. Well, um, or, or for example, Alexei Petrich, no, from Tetris. Right. This was, like, awesome, you know? So when I approach... Well, VIPs or pioneers for interviewing, I tend to always tell them first who we interviewed yet, and when they listen to, oh, then, then they listen to the names like, oh, you got this guy? Now this is interesting. Then it's, it's making things a lot e- easier. And I can't thank people like uh, ex-Commodore Worker and the readers who keep writing me and keep giving positive feedback on the Commodore Scene Database, Puet, or my email address, or whatever, or our um, contact form, it's really amazing. And um, we are also trying to improve what people tell us could be improved. You know, like, now we got more... Like the outfit. Now we got more... Um, yeah, well, yes, we are also... <laughs> yeah, well, the outfit, the outfit is something that is really like, I don't know, there's one faction who says, I like the outfit. It's very, very good, very intuitive to you, almost like Windows, which was the idea I had. And there's the other one who said, ah, I would prefer to use my joystick. But the problem is we wanted to approach the NTC users too. So in 2001, you had a lot of Geos users with a, with a uh, 1351 mouse. Now tell a, G- a Geos user use a joystick or a keyboard, that would be like, ooh, I want to use my mouse. Well, it was always our, uh, my, my goal to make it appealing to all kind of users, not not only demo sceners. Um, yeah. Right. Um, well, I, gotten... I, hope, I hope we got that at, at this point. Yeah, well, we, we get 
kind of, well, actually, the only feedback I've seen recently has been people liking the outfit, whereas in the beginning, it was about split. Half of them said the outfit's great, and the other half said, well, what the hell am I looking at? I've always <laughs> been I've always been one of the latter. It hasn't been my favorite outfit, but it, it, it works for what it is. You know, it, it does the job, so it's that's all we can well, argue for. Well, what, what I can say about the outfit, um, it's probably the outfit that has the most support by coders. I mean, we got Cadaver to help us with the loader. We got four of our own people. We have very good documentation of the codes, and we have a little manual for the coders. And, and we keep improving the maxes almost every issue. So we people write us, we want switchable fonts. So we included a font switcher. We want music switching by the keyboard. So we, we had a music selector by the keyboard. And the, one of the first features, well, the first feature since issue one was uh, color schemes because I have friends that um, are colorblind. Like me. Um, yeah. And they, they would give me the feedback that, ah, this dark gray on light gray is bad for my eyes. Can't you make um, something that would switch when I press a key? So it's sometimes really simple things. I'm really glad that, that we got all the improvements. We have good coders. We have, good, we have very good staff members. And now it's about 20 that I try to organize. And we're thankful it's, for that. It's turned into quite the outfit, or quite the quite the group of people that we have. Yeah, so very motivated people, and it seems we have a lot of happy readers too now. And which is, um, yeah. which is always the goal, <laughs> of course. And I hope the improvements you put in place they are taken well. Well, let's get into this interview uh, again. This is with the preeminent German journalist and uh, Lars Sobirai, who and he specializes in copyright and trademark and social network security. Um, again, he's from the Amiga scene where he went by the name Gandhi. Um, and in this interview, we're going to touch on everything from the retro game scene to copyright law in cracking and you know old games, and we'll even hit some things on uh, WikiLeaks and Edward Snowden and, and the retirement of Windows XP. We're kind of all over the place with this. So, without any further dawdling, here's our uh, here's the interview. Hello, Lars. Hey. Hello. And um, our topic today would be things like copyright, things like, um, well, copyright in the retro computing scene, um, since he is coming from the Amiga scene, well, and we will also cover privacy in um, social networks like Facebook and Google and so on. And, um, well, actually, Lars is um, a journalist in this field, so he is an expert, and he runs several websites, and um, he has also been invited in a German media as an expert on that field. So we are very pleased to have you here, Lars. Welcome. Thank you very much. That is a, it is a good honor for our first podcast to have an actual uh, kind of celebrity in this field. Yes, I thought the same. Um, let's start with the first, let's start with the first topic. 
for example, now that the new PlayStation is coming, mm -hmm. it has been discussed about the copyright issues of old computer systems and um, old game consoles. So, um, for example, as we are running a C64 magazine, and um, it's very much common to, to release cracks and make copies and so on, or to download ROMs for old game consoles and so on. What's actually your take on, on this topic right now, nowadays? Is it, is it safe, or should we be anyway concerned about our retro hobby and the copyright? Um, what exactly do you mean? Speaking about PlayStation 4? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you have like old computer systems, like uh, the 64 and the PlayStation. Yes. And there you, you are, well, nowadays you are copying stuff. Yes. Or, or you are re-releasing things as golden tracks to improve the game, for example, that had bugs while it was, when it was released originally. What's your take on that? I think you're talking about the, the mostly in the C64 and, and other scenes where, where a lot of groups are yeah. taking old games that maybe weren't exactly good when they were released and they're, they're improving them now and putting them out as, as releases now and where copyright uh, laws fall within that. Is that an issue as far as you know uh, continuing to, to alter and re-release these, these old 20, 30-year-old games? Or is it something that's kind of almost public domain now? Well, uh, I would say it uh, surely depends if uh, the companies uh, do still exist. Uh, I guess most companies uh, which have produced games in the uh, 80s or 90s uh, don't exist anymore except um, Electronic Arts and uh, uh, a few others, but um, I think most uh, people who produced these games don't uh, bother anymore because uh, uh, because the companies don't exist anymore. Well, uh, public domain, hmm, hard to say. Uh, you must be the person who is owning the copyright to... Uh, to to say that it's allowed uh, to copy uh, this material and um, well, uh, it's not our work, so we can't decide that. Um, right. Generally, though, someone does own the copyright to a lot of this stuff. So even if the company doesn't exist, if someone wanted to prosecute, they probably could, right? Because a lot of times these these game companies that existed back in the eighties and nineties, they've been yes, they've been purchased or merged into other companies. So. You know the, the Epics or 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 U.S. Gold or whatever company it was that put this stuff out. They might be owned by by Electronic Arts or some other current. I know like Origin Systems is now owned by Electronic Arts, even though they don't put out any games. The uh, copyrights that that Origin had are EAs now. So theoretically, they they could still or, or rather could still somebody try to enforce these copyrights, and would they have any legal ground to stand on as far as that is? Uh, I don't think it would make sense to do so because uh, as these games are not uh, sold anymore, uh, why, why should they enforce the copyright? Um, it, it's just a, a, a good memory of good old times. And uh, I, I would say 
many games from those days were uh, a lot better than nowadays games because um, many games had uh, fantastic ideas and uh, I have often the impression that today it's only a, a question of uh, processor and the graphic card and the, the quickest graphics uh, and uh, best movements and physical engine and so such stuff but uh, it, it may look uh, interesting at first glance but after all it's it's nothing else than boring uh, if, if you play it for a while and um, yeah, I know. I yeah, I understand what you're saying. The uh, in fact, there's a lot of that with um, the retro gaming now. A lot of people are getting into emulators and going back and revisiting a lot of these games. Yes. And even even some of the big companies I know with Nintendo with uh, the new uh, I guess it's the Wii U they have out now. You can actually go on and download the old games, the old you know NES games from yes. the 80s and yes. 90s. There's really kind of a almost a demand for that that simpler better design sort of thing than, than what they put out now. Yeah, But it's interesting that two years ago, I think, I believe, and that Atari, when Atari struggled, they yes. decided to write to bloggers who used their name Atari in an article and a blog post on their blog and saying, if you don't remove the mentioning of Atari, then we will sue you. We will <laughs> put you in front of court. And I remember that back in the, back, well, two years ago or something, when that happened, there were, was a lot of bashing on Atari, how, how they could do something like that, because, as AJ said, um, for a company, it's even um, kind of a positive promotion. Yeah, rather yeah. than a negative one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah, it, it brings people into thinking about... You know, and, that, and that's basically, you know, it goes back into what I was saying with the copyright laws and that some of these companies, you know, maybe it's a, a few of them now, you know, Nintendo and maybe a couple others, but some of these things might be wanting to almost cash in on that nostalgic retro game thing that everyone's kind of going after now. So I don't think there's a lot of clarity as far as where these, these I, I don't even know if you'd call them crackers anymore because they're not cracking a game because it's been cracked 1,700 times already. But these, you know, fixers and re-releasers, where they fall on this, and you know, if they're if what they're doing is legal, or or if what they're doing can be can be prosecuted or or or, or fought in any way by these companies that might want to later on cash in on what they've already released. And obviously, you know, if you're Nintendo and you're trying to sell an old game or trying to incorporate it into your new system, and mm -hmm. some some schlub over there just released a. A, a, a better version of the same game with all the bugs fixed that you didn't get to. You know, you're going to be a little bit annoyed because people are going to go to the fixed version rather than to yours. Yeah. But yeah. I think they shouldn't be punished because they have uh, fixed some bugs. And uh, I think uh, companies should try to concentrate, for example, to to write good uh, ports for, yeah, for, for example, for Android or for the iPhone. I haven't seen many good, if, if there's one good old C64 game on, on iPhone, uh, I haven't seen, uh, Ports of Call was okay, but the rest of the uh, ports uh, from old games were really crappy. And th this would be interesting to transform an old game into the 
new technology, and I think uh, there, there would be many people who would buy uh, such stuff. But, uh, uh, but oh, absolutely, beside, I, think, I'm, I, I love the the fixing up to the new stuff. I know they did that with it's not that old of a game, but the Monkey Island series that they uh, had on Amiga, and they I guess it was on on PC and Mac and whatnot. They recently redid I think the first two of them for for both the iPhone and iPad and for the, the Mac OS yeah. on the Mac store and they oh, they yeah, updated cool. it to modern graphics and music and there's voices and stuff in it now so it's it's fantastic and I went back and I, I downloaded them and, and played them all over again and it was like playing a whole new game because it had the same the same kind of style of gameplay and everything as the old games and the same yeah. thought put into it but much better you know, Perfect. visuals and and yeah. and sounds yeah. and everything else that really, I would love to see some old Commodore games. You know, oh. like Space Rogue or Sentinel Worlds or something that were you know cranked up to run on modern hardware would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, actually, actually, um, there is CinemaWare came back from the ashes, and they are actually right now working on um, on re-releasing old Commodore 64 games like Defender of the Crown and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, actually, it's about to happen um, that that old games are re-released. And um, well, when when I spoke to Alexei Petrovnov, who, who did Tetris about this topic, he said that he doesn't do it the way Atari did it, but but he approaches people and he, they try to cooperate with the version they have created instead of well, instead of going the last. And that would so, really be the ideal way to do it because all the improvements that have come in over, you know, some of these games have been re-released, you know, 14, 15 times and every time they add something new to it, they fix a bug or... They come mm-hmm. up with new levels. It would be great if the companies could actually just kind of grab onto that and and put that out instead of, unfortunately, in the U.S. here we're sort of a litigious a, a society where everyone's got to sue everybody else for any perceived infraction. So yeah. I don't know if that would happen with the American game companies. They'd probably sue to get the to get the rights to use the 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 fixed version without having to pay the guy that did it. But yeah, oh that. There's also a question of copyright in in um, in issues in which it's not necessarily a, a, a game that was released or owned by a company. I know that, that a few years ago there was a there was a a, a thing about a, a song that I, I don't know who did it, but they used something out of a demo, a piece of music they sampled yeah, it. It was Timberland. Yes, yes. Um, Timberland mm-hmm. stealing music from. Clan uh, Rungelafa. That's right. Yes, music before uh, composer. Um, and he himself he, had had edited that. He put out the C sixty four version of somebody else's song. Yeah, and they actually did a lawsuit in Finland and so on. So it went really big. Hmm. This issue. Yeah. Was there an outcome to it? Uh, I think they uh, they contacted each other uh, because I was in in contact with uh, the C sixty four musician. Um, and uh, so what, what I know is uh, they, they tried uh, a sort of agreement so uh, the, the musician from the original song would get money uh, from Timberland 
but the song wasn't it performed from Nelly uh, Furtado? Yes, yes, it was. I think uh, Timberland was only the producer, if I'm right. And uh, C64 musician wasn't able to inform me any further because uh, all these um, it, it was kept as a secret. He wasn't allowed to to tell me uh, what's uh, going on. But I guess uh, he he got a lot of money uh, for for his uh, melody, and uh, yeah, that was it. Well, that's that's a good thing because I, I just you know, it's it's demos have have kind of been sort of under the the radar of a lot of that stuff. You know, that's that's what I did when I was active in the scene. In fact, I just did a demo a couple of months ago, and you know, a lot of times, you know, you get that. You you worry about what happens more more so in the the you know the old days when people might take something and and you know games might actually pull music out of it and whatnot because it it happens to be good but there was really no kind of recourse for the the demo people as far as what they what belongs to them and what can just be kind of ripped out and used somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But it's it's good that they're actually making some kind of legal headway as to you know where copyright falls on that issue. I think it would have been easy to uh, make a lawsuit because it was exactly the same melody. Right, yeah. Exactly the same. There were On YouTube there were videos uh, with the original and with a song from Timberland and uh, the timing and everything was exactly the same. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, and I heard rumors that uh, Timberland is uh, sometimes uh, inspiring himself by the What's the name? High Voltage? Yeah, the collection. Yeah. Yeah, Sick Collection, exactly. And there are thousands of songs uh, with uh, good melodies he he could use, and I guess he thought uh, nobody would catch him uh, for that. Probably figured that the songs were old enough, didn't count on uh, C64 people being as crazy as they are, and hearing that well, and being, I know that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem was Glenn Rungelefer is an active composer nowadays. Mm-hmm. Oh. If he was using a piece from, I don't know, from Volley, Bur- from Volley Burm, from Tetris, or any other um, game, from Summer Games, for example, yes. I guess nobody would have bothered. But to use a piece of a song that was released just a few years ago, that's kind of dangerous if that person is still active in the scene. Right. But he didn't know that. Timberland didn't know who, who's that uh, composer. He has no idea of a C64 scene, I would say. Well, um, if you have installed the still plugin in your sit player, you can read all the credits, but I guess he didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, made a, he made some statement, and uh, what, what did he say? It was something along the lines of... Uh, that it wasn't stealing because it was sampling, and that he he didn't have time. He was too busy to, you know, he was too busy a guy to look up, you know, who did it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And he made well, some two minutes of googling. Yeah, pretty time. much. Yeah. So we could we could summarize that it's actually not so dangerous um, in copywriting, but in stealing. Um, already used materials in new production or re-releasing yeah. old games and productions. That's kind of more dangerous nowadays. So it's it's less dangerous for the people that are that are cracking the games and, and more for the people that are <laughs> ripping the music. 
which which I guess is is good because you know it helps these this old stuff get out there more and and it protects the people that are still active and still doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, of of course there is a downside of this last four years. We got a retro hype in Germany. Everything is great again. We have retro gamer magazines and we had Power Play re-released and so on. All the magazines and stuff. The downside is that this stuff is really getting expensive on eBay now. Yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. Since people, since cheap people find out, oh, wow, what I have in the attic is actually valuable for some people. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it's rare, rare to it. Rare. I have been looking for a disk drive for my my Commodore 128 for about a year, and every time I look on eBay, the prices go up to where it's like three hundred dollars for a 1541, and it's 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 ludicrous. But I guess because it's so in demand and people are so into that, you know, reliving their childhood and everything now. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's it's or I see these things on the uh, people post them all the time on, on a couple of Apple groups that I'm on where it's an old Apple II, and it's going for like $800. Oh. And people buy these things. Now, I wouldn't have bought, I wouldn't have spent or $800 when it was new. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's that retro stuff is, and it's funny, too, because being part of the C64 group, you know, scene, you, you start out, and it's kind of obscure. No one really knows anything about it, and I was a demo guy for years, and then I was working with the, the disc mags, and it's sort of a, kind of a little hobby venture, and no one really you don't really tell people that you know what you do with it, you know, and then suddenly it's 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 now it's it's retro and now everybody that you know is also into that. Everyone's like, Oh yeah, you know, I got this emulator, I'm playing these games and it's like, Oh, hey, yeah, I write for this, you know, old magazine that that, you know, deals with that and suddenly it's it's kinda mainstream and you can suddenly tell your friends what you do on your weekends. <laughs> yeah. When when I said I'm talking to Alexei Peshev now. People were like, oh my God, send me the link. This is amazing, you know. <laughs> Ten years ago, nobody cared. Nobody right. cared about that stuff. Yeah, well, they um, didn't even know who he was. They're, you know, you, you, you say his name, they're like, huh? You have to explain uh, Tetris. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so this is kind of a change. Uh, what do you think? Why, why this change is happening? I think it's probably because people that that grew up with this are now there was a a point when that kind of the old Nintendos were getting old and the C64s were kind of fading out of style and it was really a pain to really revisit that stuff and now you've got machines that are fast enough to to run an almost perfect emulation of this I mean Mm -hmm. I've got emulators on on my laptop that are for you know I've got up to Nintendo 64s on them and it's you can run just about any game at, in perfect emulation, and so I think people are aren't as afraid of revisiting this stuff that they did when they were kids, because it's only it takes five minutes to download and install, and then you can play a game and put it away and come back to it later. Whereas a couple of years ago, you'd have to go out and actually hunt down the original hardware to run this stuff on. Well, now the question is why is why the original hardware is getting more expensive. I think that has to do because some people are like, wow, I can actually own the original machine. So, um, so you have the same feeling. A lot of people that I spoke to in my office at work 
or other people that are not connected to the retro scene, they often tell me, oh, emulator is fine, but it doesn't feel like sitting in front of television and actually having the original controller in your hand and oh, plugging nice. in the original um, diskette or um, cartridge into the machine. Mm. So um, this is what, what I gather from my environment. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff, you know, that doesn't... The sound isn't quite right. It's a little bit too too perfect almost, you know, and it, it's the controllers. If they could make me a Nintendo controller, that I, like an original Nintendo controller that I can plug into my USB port or an adapter so I can plug that sort of thing in, and I'm sure they do make it, but I haven't bothered to look. Well, that would be but, fantastic. But they are Chinese copies, and they are not really very good. Right, because the things uh, I have, I have, it's it looks like a PlayStation controller that you can plug into the USB port, and I, I got this big ridiculous uh, joystick that's got, I mean, it, it's got more buttons on it than than i can count and it just see, feels ridiculous playing the gianna sisters or something with this joystick which is half as tall as i am and, you know it's, it's just it's just not right and even just playing the old nintendo games with that that playstation feeling controller that's got more buttons than you need it just doesn't there's something that isn't right about that mm-hmm. ah, that's true. but for, for um, a hobbyist you know i'm not I'm not that into recapturing that that kind of old feeling. I just want to revisit some of the games I played, and for that, it's it's great. But if I really wanted to be, I suppose, hipster about it, you know, where you gotta have the silly mustache and sit back and you know, really kind of, you know, I was playing these games before it was cool thing. You gotta really kind of get the real original hardware and mm-hmm. knock back with that. So it's good because nowadays we have more attention, but this also means we have to spend more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything has advantages and disadvantages. I'm waiting. About, about a year, you're going to have to start paying me. <laughs> yeah, well, we will see how famous we get. <laughs> so far, we didn't receive any donations. Eh. Give it time. <laughs> yeah, well, which leads us to our next topic that we had on the list. And that was, if if you are using old systems, outdated systems, is this actually more of a cure than using reach, um, uh, recent systems? Because, for example, on an Amiga, you could also browse the Internet. Or soon, Windows XP will be totally out of focus. And now the question is, since you are not in the focus of, um, of a hacker or virus writer or something, is this even made... Well, using the internet more secure. Well, <clears throat> uh, I, I used my Amiga uh, with the internet until uh, 2000, and a friend of mine, we two, uh, we both uh, had to work on the configuration of a DSL line for two or three days. It wasn't that easy uh, because um, in my town, for sure, I was the only one uh, browsing uh, or using the internet with an Amiga for thousand, and 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 there were some uh, programs like uh, the email client, which were uh, way better than uh, those uh, which were. Um, uh, uh, downloadable for uh, Windows, but on the other side, I had uh, massive pro- uh, problems to uh, surf through the internet because 
most uh, websites weren't displayed correctly. So uh, you could only access uh, really very simple HTML websites and uh, the browser crashed very often because of JavaScript. Not to speak about Java because uh, as far as I remember, Java wasn't impl implemented. And um, yeah, of course, you could chat with uh, IRC clients and uh, you could uh, write emails and you could visit very, very simple websites, but uh, the, the, the web um, uh, was changing and uh, the, the, those few people who were developing the Amiga browsers uh, were not able to um, to make actual uh, modern browsers uh, which were able to display those websites. And so uh, sooner or later in 2000, I had to buy my first uh, Windows XP computer and uh, I wasn't very happy with that. Uh, but um, okay, well... Uh, Amiga was uh, far better because of multitasking and everything was uh, small and very quick and uh, very effective. But um, on the other side, suddenly I could uh, visit every website and see all content and see all uh, flash animations and all JavaScript and uh, not to speak of uh, Silverlight and all those other uh, uh, techniques. So uh, <clears throat> I think if you are going to do really very basic things in the Internet, yes, it's possible with uh, retro computers, but uh, besides, uh, it's not possible. And speaking of uh, Windows XP, sadly, they uh, don't support it anymore since the 8th of April, and, you know, uh, it, it was a very widespread operating system, so many black hats were developing malware for it, and uh, you need to, to update this operating system each month or each, each week to, to protect yourself from new uh, attacks. And um, I, I don't know, uh, is it now a community pro uh, project uh, to update XP or... Uh, I don't. I think they've just uh, canceled all updating on it. I'm sure that there would be third-party support of antivirus and, and whatnot on there to try to plug whatever holes. But as far as Microsoft <laughs> well, is concerned, nothing is well, um, they're done with it. Well, what, what they actually released two weeks ago is that somebody found out that Windows XP for the embedded devices is still supported until 2018. Ooh. Embedded devices means cashier system in the supermarkets mm -hmm. or the ATM at some bank right, right. Okay. or such stuff. So, because here in my street I had actually an ATM crashing and suddenly I had Windows uh, XP hey. Windows. Yeah, I've it. seen that a few places like, too, yeah. Yeah. And they are actually, and you can actually do a re registry hack in Windows XP, and then it will be detected as an embedded Windows XP version. Mm -hmm. But Microsoft is not too happy about it and said, since the update for that Internet Explorer and .NET and all the other mm -hmm. um, components are not tested for end-user Windows XP, 
it's not suggested to use this hack, but surprisingly, they didn't pull, uh, they didn't fix the, um, well, the workaround. So you mm -hmm. can still do it. Mm -hmm. And this is what, what some diehard users are doing nowadays. Mm -hmm. They are Googling for a solution, they are finding this, and then they are, it's just a simple um, batch file, you can double click and then it will modify your registry. So it's really simple. Even my mom could do it. So this is this is how how some people are trying to work around this. Yeah. And now now the now it would interest me. What what is your opinion about that, Lars? Do you think it's good to to use that workaround, or do you think it's better to upgrade to a newer operating system? Well. Um... I'm I'm not uh, an uh, IT expert, so I, I can't say if you are really safe if you are using that uh, workaround. But uh, I loved uh, XP because I had a lot of a lot more control uh, than than uh, I have nowadays because I was uh, just vomiting. When I tried out um, Windows Vista the first uh, time, it, it took away a lot of control from me and, and, and gave it to, not to the machine, but to the operating system. I wasn't allowed to delete some files or to rename uh, directories. Uh, that's that's and a lot how I felt when I, started, uh, when I started using Mac OS X uh, yeah. in, the, in the early days. I, I couldn't stand it because I had come from OS nine, where you pretty much had control over everything. And I've complained mm -hmm. to Lars, or, I mean to Jorg about this a thousand times. But in the early days, Mac OS put your files where it damn well wanted them, and not where you wanted to put them. And I like mm -hmm. to organize my stuff, you know, in certain ways. And 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 yep. it took quite a few years up until I think it was ten point four when that came out before I was comfortable enough to start using it because it didn't it didn't monopolize the experience completely like you could change things you could do things how you wanted them and you know it, it i i held back on it for years because of that well and all despite that you are both mac users nowadays mm -hmm. yeah yeah at the time i used a commodore 128 on the internet just to get my email and everything else i didn't you know obviously surf the web because that, that oh, would be cool. that would be horrific but i used that up until i guess it was 2000 or 2001 and then i i realized that i really needed to do something because it was getting a bit long in the tooth, as they say, and it wasn't working so well, so I went and got a Mac, because it seemed, at the time, the lesser of two evils. Well, I mean, there are actually people, there are actually people who, who, used, who used it for longer. Um, I remember in 2008 to 2009, I worked for an ISP, Internet Service Provider, at technical support, and I had two customers that were calling me. They were living in the same neighborhood, and they were telling me, "Oh, I guess you never heard about it, but you could browse the internet using um, more voice OS for the Amiga." And I said, "Yes, I know, because yesterday I had your neighbor on the line. <laughs> they were very happy. They were very happy to speak to a to a technical supporter that actually." knew what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, there, was, there are still crazy people who do it. But it's interesting that um, both of you used Amiga and Commodore 128 till the very last moment it was possible. That's interesting. 
Yeah, I, I really resisted because I was so embedded into into that machine. I had everything on the disks and I had all the software and it was just to get something else seemed such a, a pain and it was really only necessity when the machine started kind of falling apart that that I, I realized I had to do something else and, and got the, the Mac. But if not, if it had not fallen apart, I might still be using it. Oh, probably not, but I like to think I like to think I might have. I've got yeah. one. In, I've got one in a box. I just have nothing to hook it into. <laughs> this is interesting because um, I also sp- spoke to Adam Zanko to this Contiki, the um, network layer for eight-bit uh, uh, systems, and he said he liked to work on that because of the challenge of making network uh, connectivity and internet possible for Game Boy, NES, C64. <laughs> so, well, that's, yeah. that's the other thing with the with the C64. There were some internet solutions for it. I think there was a kind of rudimentary browser that was in Geos or whatever the uh, the newer, I guess Wheels was the, the next version of it. There yeah. was a, a rudimentary browser in that, and there was, a, I think there might have been one other. It might have been a text-only browser, but... Just the logistics of hooking the thing up to the internet to be able to do that. I'm not my my brain doesn't work that well as far as you know the the hardware aspects and how to get it all to work. I can I can code a, a really chintzy raster interrupt, but I can't you know as far as hooking up things and networking and all that. I have no idea what I'm doing. So it it's nice just to be able to plug something in and go. And C64 at the time just didn't have that that. Ability when in the Q-Link days it kind of sort of did, but I went to the Mac and and sadly went to AOL because that was the easiest way to do it. <laughs> I, had, I had no terminal program, so I just called them up and said, said "Send me a floppy disk," and they did. Ooh. <laughs> so we could say you you may be more secure because there are no hacker or virus writer or something. Well, I'm certain I was more secure on that C64 because nobody, there's no viruses for that. And if there are, you have to make them yourself. So, (laughs) you know, it was, (laughs) so I'm I'm certain I was secure on that. But uh, later on computers, you know, I guess certain ones like the the Amiga um, and even, even Apple to a certain extent. Apple never really had too many viruses because no one bothered to make them for it. All the action was on Windows. And so now it's, you know, we've kind of abandoned XP. We've moved on to to Vista and uh, Windows Seven and what the what the, the abomination they call Windows Eight. And you know, we're, we're working with that. So these older things like XP, you know, uh, would the would the hackers really kind of still focus on that or try to find vulnerabilities, or would they just move on to the newer stuff? Yeah, well, it's interesting because there are really two parties. Like the one is the journalists that say you have to move on, and then there are those IT experts, and a lot of them say oh, that's totally nonsense. You are still secure enough, and you can you can fix the holes manually. So well, even um, even if you don't fix the holes, I mean, yeah. granted there are vulnerabilities, but the odds of being targeted aren't probably aren't all that great for the average person. If you're doing a lot of different stuff and, you know, hooking up to a lot of things, then maybe, then you know, you might, you know, there might be more of a vulnerability there. But if you're just, you know, Grandma Esther getting on the uh, Internet there to check her email and, you know, the bingo scores, then it's probably, you know, it's probably not, 
you know, the vulnerability is not going to make that much of a difference to you. Of course, you should have a router and a firewall to protect yourself. Well, yeah. And virus if you use a Windows machine, I guess. Hmm. It, nowadays, we are living in a world where there are actually viruses for Android smartphones. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's really getting tricky here. Um, so, we could say it's, it's maybe safe here, but you cannot really use the Internet anymore with those old machines. Yeah. And you don't get the experience. Right, yeah, because the yeah. browsers they, the browsers are out of date. I've seen some, uh, I'm not even sure what it was for. Maybe it might have been Amiga. They were demonstrating a browser, the newest iteration, and it just, the website looked like, oh, it, it just, it, I, I can't even, it looked like someone made the website out of Legos. It just was not, <laughs> was not very nice. And that's, you know, I guess the one of the biggest uh, issues with, sticking around with those older browsers is that you just you're out of date and it just doesn't work right anymore well at least at least you got it in color yeah that's true <laughs> now the thing when we talked about security was about spying for example the wikileaks thing and edward snowden yeah. i think lars you you wrote a lot about that yeah i'm sure you have a broad opinion to share <laughs> well, uh, okay, then let's start with uh, WikiLeaks and, and Julian Assange. I, I think uh, a person who is a whistleblower, he's doing a very important thing. Uh, it's a very fundamental task um, to, to be a whistleblower. But uh, at the same time, if, if you are driving a, an organization like WikiLeaks, you have a real, real great responsibility. And uh, if we're speaking of Julian Assange, I often have uh, uh, thought that this person is driven by pure ego stimulation. Uh, he wants to stay in front of the cameras and of the microphones and he is uh, he wants to be filmed and he wants to handle him uh, the other and the, the, the question of a responsibility uh, it was it wasn't so important for him and, and that, that's a reason why for example Daniel Domscheit Berg, uh, who, who has worked very closely with him, uh, left him. And uh, one example uh, were the Afghan uh, war diary uh, documents. Uh, they, they have leaked. Uh, these were original documents from 2004 to 2010. And uh, inside were many explosive uh, facts from uh, uh, double agents, and everything was published without being edited. And I'm sure a lot of uh, double agents have been killed in the weeks and months after uh, this leak because the Al-Qaeda uh, were uh, getting after them or after their family, probably. And uh, that's what I what I mean with responsibility and I think that that's a reason why uh, Edward Snowden isn't uh, publishing any documents himself. 
He works closely together with uh, Glenn Greenwald and other journalists. And uh, if you watch uh, interviews with him, uh, okay, he gave away the, the uh, informations, but uh, not everything he had. Right. Well, he said uh, straight up that uh, I, I just recently saw an interview with him, and he he was talking about the fact that he feels uh, like he's a patriot, and he's not trying to. He's trying to help the country rather than yeah. get anybody in trouble, and and so he's yeah. he's he released what he did without any like the stuff he releases is not anything that can be necessarily used against us, but is stuff yeah. that the public should be aware of because most of what he's talking about is what the government is doing to their own people. And it's, it's real. He's a real kind of difficult topic in, in the U S because we don't know the people here don't know what to make of him because half of them think he's the best thing ever because he's, you know, blown the whistle on this. And then the other one, other half think that he's a, he's a traitor and should be in jail forever and, and all this. And it's, and it's really tough because the public has such a short memory and, they you hear it first off and then the government throws out some spin words and says oh we only collect metadata and everyone goes oh well it's just metadata who cares but that's because people don't realize what metadata is <laughs> so you know there, there's no kind of pushback against the government for this you know the government comes out and says oh well you know we only really did that and then the people go oh okay well that's fine then but they don't bother to learn what's going on but but yeah, he's he has come out and said that he doesn't. And he, I think he is. They are still releasing things every so often. But he, he even specifically said he got rid of the documents he had because he didn't want to be able to. He didn't want you know Russia coming in and you know setting them on fire until he you know talks. So they, he got rid of everything. Yeah. So well, that's basically the problem. People don't think about the consequences for um, families of double agents who got killed and so on, and people don't try to get the background knowledge um, of what this all means. Of course, it's normal. I mean, you are sitting in the evening in front of your television or you're reading the newspaper, and nobody, I mean, the general public doesn't go out and Google it and try to get some background information to figure out what is meta, what is metadata and um, and should, should have in the material censored to not risk any life. That's right, and, and the media is so is so bent here, where either they're they're feverishly against him or they're for him. It's it's there's no there's no um, objective. Well, I wanted to say uh, once General Keith Alexander, he's uh, uh, he's he's the leader of the NSA. He said, um, we must control, or the USA must control the ground, the sea, and the air, and, 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 now, and nowadays the Internet. And I'm, I'm sure uh, the NSA and other intelligence services will do everything to uh, reach this goal. They will uh, try to uh, crack each technical device, Android, smartphone, tablet PC, computer, or, or whatever, uh, no matter where these uh, uh, technical things come from or what, what it costs. And um, I think the, what, it, 
what what it makes so dangerous is the combination between companies like uh, Google or Facebook who are collecting many 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 data from us uh, at the one side and at the other side you have the NSA who uh, is quite interested in into these data and that's um, that's a real dangerous combination and uh, if you're going around with your smartphone you you can you cannot avoid it that uh, datas were transferred uh, outside of your device even if you have uh, an old uh, smartphone which isn't able to uh, surf on the internet but uh, in, in case you you switch it on uh, you know for for a few meters uh, at each time where are you going and um, I think uh, for for me, Edward Snowden uh, is, is a hero, and uh, he gave up everything for uh, to inform us. For, uh, he gave up his freedom uh, for our freedom, and he had a well-paid job and a family and a girlfriend. And um, well, I think uh, Russia was the only. Uh, place to to where he could be uh, protected from the USA. He got some other offers, and as you both know, he also asked uh, the the government of Germany if he could uh, live here. But uh, they disagreed, and um, I'm yeah. I, w I would like to know what what will happen if this one year. Is over if if he's if he will be able to to live uh, in in, in uh, Russia or what will what will happen then? And uh, if you are following the news here in in uh, Germany, York, you know that uh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> I don't know the English word Generalstaatsanwalt, uh, general prosecutor. Uh, mm -hmm. He more or less said, well. Uh, we, we don't have to investigate uh, against the NSA. Um, and the only thing uh, he, they are going to investigate was uh, the, the wiretapping of uh, the phone from Angela Merkel. And yes. uh, that's uh, kind of strange for me. Uh, sorry, I don't have anything against the USA, but sometimes I ask myself... Uh, is it really our country or uh, what happened after the uh, Second World War? Don't well, get me wrong, but uh, normally uh, in Berlin, uh, politicians uh, should cry and say that uh, it's not... Um, uh, you, you, you can tolerate this surveillance uh, of, of top uh, politicians and you hear nothing. Nobody's crying uh, from the, the CDU or SPD, uh, nobody's saying that this is wrong. And, and, I, and I found that a very I, I found that a very odd thing too, because that's that's almost that's espionage at the highest level. If you're tapping the phones of, you know, of a of a major political figure, you know, that's something that is is bound to come back and bite you. And there's been no backlash at all. Just just like the the monitoring of of Americans. You know, on 
you know, they're, they're tapping, they're checking us out and collecting all this, this data and whatnot. And, and there's been no, no backlash against the government from it. There's been no, no change in, in policy from it. And yep. the, 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 the wiretapping of, of the German, of your chancellor, that, that kind of was just a, a minor, you know, news brief. It was, you know, third page of the newspaper, and no one says anything about it. And it's it blows my yeah. mind how something like that yeah. can happen and have no political issue, no no ramifications whatsoever. Everything is just business as usual. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of strange. And it's it's funny too because there was a uh, interview uh, or a speech that uh, President Obama did right after this came out, and there was a a quote by. Benjamin Franklin, one of the you know the founders of the of the U.S. You, you know in the 1700s, and he said something along the lines of uh, people who would trade in their their freedom for a little bit of safety don't deserve either. And President Obama comes out and he's like, "Well, you you can't have a lot of freedom and still be safe." And it's you know completely the opposite of of what the the whole country was founded on and. That we're just, you know, it's just, it's running rampant. And it's just, it surprises me so much that there isn't more attention being given to it. Uh, what I'd imagine is it's going to take one person, the first person that gets, that gets suspected of something because, you know, a terrorist dials their number wrong. And suddenly there's data linking, you know, oh, he got a call from, you know this this you know Unabomber over here. You know he must be involved somehow. And then some innocent guy gets you know taken away and prosecuted for this, or or thrown in jail. You know in in Guantanamo Bay for you know twenty years, and then it finds out he had nothing to do with it. He was just this this data that was collected that somehow linked him to it. You know, or I mean, even some of these you know the people that had that pulled off nine eleven were in the country for years, and I'm sure they had plenty of you know contact with people that didn't have anything to do with it just on their day-to-day lives they had to have jobs they had to live somewhere and so now you know i happen to know this this guy and he pulls off some horrible thing well i've got records linking my phone you know we we may had phone calls we barbecued in the backyard or something now suddenly they're looking at me because you know all this all this metadata like they they like to call it is linking me to someone that they have an interest in and so suddenly you know i'm a suspect and I have a feeling that it's going to take until something like that happens for the public to really get kind of worked up about it because right now they're looking and it's like, eh, it won't happen to me, which is, you know, yeah. famous last words, you know, oh, it can't happen to me. I didn't do anything wrong. Why should they be interested in Exactly, me? yeah. Right, and that's that. I don't see that as the point. You know, great, I, I didn't do anything wrong, but, you know, it's I didn't do anything wrong when, you know, this guy, you know, dialed my number wrong and I, you know, talked to him for three minutes and, and whatnot. And, and now they're looking because he called me the day before he bombed a tower. You know, he, he calls me up for three minutes. Well, this guy must be the mastermind, you know. And no, I just had a, you know, especially yeah. since they're not collecting what you're talking about. They're just collecting the, the date of the call, the time, all that stuff and who you called and whatnot. They don't know what you talked about unless they unless they're watching him and they decide to listen in, which they can also apparently do. I think the, the the main problem with uh, surveillance is you can see it, you can hear it, you can smell or feel it. It doesn't hurt you. And uh, my suggestion is that that's the reason why 
most people don't care because uh, it, it, it takes place in the secret and uh, as you already said, most people think, oh, I'm not doing uh, anything wrong, so why should I care? And um, the other thing I ask myself is, uh, what can we do against it? Uh, I, I, I'm, I really don't know. Everybody says, oh, surveillance is bad and what the NSA is doing is bad, but what can we do against that? Are we able to do anything against it? Some people would argue that just knowing about it, you know, if you know you're being surveyed or surveilled, then then it's a uh, you can take steps to sort of, you know, it, almost like it's okay to do it if you know about it. But I, I don't even think that's that's necessarily right because I, I guess it all comes down to the people that are doing it and and the fact that we put them in office and. Unfortunately, there's really no better choice. We have, mm. you know, we've got two guys running for president, and they're all—they're basically the same person. We, there is no third choice. There is no other option. And the people in general just don't. I, I, like I said, I think it's going to take a really big instance of somebody getting tagged for something that they didn't have it to do with. It had nothing to do with because of this information collecting that it's really going to make people mobilize and do something about it because we have here in America, at least I don't know about elsewhere. We have no attention span. A couple of years ago, there was, you know, the occupy movement where people were going and trying to take yeah. money out of the banks and stuff because of the economy and people were getting kicked, you know, arrested and just trying to take their money out of banks. And they were really kind of making this movement. Mm -hmm. And after a month or so, you know, and I remember watching this and being and thinking to myself, this could be kind of a really big thing. You know, if it if it catches on, because people are really starting to get to the point where they're tired of this, and you know, it's gotten to the point where we got to do something about you know the the, the state of things. And I, I was hoping it could catch on, but a month later, everybody lost interest. You know, the football started or something, and everyone was like, "Oh, what? What is a shiny ball?" You know. <laughs> well, so, it's the same in Europe, I think now. Then we had then we had the Ukraine and the Russia and right. now we have the World Cup. Everybody's mm -hmm. looking towards Brazil mm -hmm. and nobody is talking about the, the violence yeah. problem. And right. Um, right. So that's it's a, exactly the same thing. Um, we we are forgetting about that. Right. Pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we that's have no. There's no, and the media is such that people just, you know, it's it's so slanted one way or another. It's it's all a political message. And again, I don't know how it is elsewhere. I know in the U.S., it it actually it physically hurts to watch television news because it's so left wing or right wing. There's no there's no middle. It's like either you watch this and you know the president is the devil mm -hmm. and the world's coming to an end or you watch this side and the president is is Jesus and the world is still coming to an end you know <laughs> there's which, there's which no which is the reason which is the reason why i think it's good if you know uh, more than well if you know english mm -hmm. and you can look at other news sources i remember speaking to a russian and he asked me if I could tell him a page where he could read in English about what the German press says about the political happenings in Russia, mm -hmm. because he wanted to know a different point of view. 
And this is what also what what I also did. I was mm. not looking at the news news from UK, and I found that the UK has a totally different standpoint of reporting, a total different view on a to, total different views on some things. So oh, I think right. this is pretty good that you have the internet nowadays, and you can look abroad and get the other point of view mm -hmm. rather than, than the point of view the, the local media is trying to, to get to you. Right. And in this past week when I was away, I, I met with a, a, a friend's relative had come, and he lives in Russia. He's, he's Russian. And uh, we were talking, and he was saying he was mm -hmm. amazed what, what we're seeing on the news here about the whole you know invasion of the Ukraine and, and whatnot. Because he said you know he lives there, and he, he said, if you're in the Ukraine, they identify as Russians. They just, you know, you don't know who's Russian, who's Ukrainian. Nobody cares. So this whole big deal that we make about it here, about the invasion and stuff, mm. he's like, there, nobody cares. It's it's all, you know, again, it's it's the media pushing some weird political slant on it and, and trying to build up, you know, we, we, we like to mess with Putin because, I, I, I don't know, we just don't like him for some reason. Too many shirtless bear photos or something. And... You know, I mean, so they 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 really like to demonize him here, and I guess that that might be part of it. You know, I don't. Again, I'm not in the Ukraine, so I don't know exactly how people feel about it. But but from what I gather, it's more of a political. The governments are are complaining, but the people themselves, they really couldn't care less. Um, but uh, the question is still unanswered. What we can, what we could do against it? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah it's connected from everything. Never using Skype, never using Facebook, never using a smartphone. I just had 10 days with no internet. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I guess we can do nothing about it. Uh, again, you know, as I said, I think it might be up to something major happening as far as someone getting prosecuted or locked away or, or so, you know, for people to really understand what what we're looking at, what we're facing in order to, to mobilize. Because really it takes the majority of the people have to get behind something and then you can have some change. But, you know, the the fact is that 90% of the people just, again, they're, they're not going to happen to me. So, you know, there's no... The, the, you have some loud people that, that complain a lot and, and try to make change, but they're the vast minority. They have almost no real say in anything. So it's it's really you know it's 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 unfortunate because again you know that whoever that that sacrificial goat is that's gonna gonna go down you know to make us realize it you know it's 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 ugh. well what would I what I wouldn't like to see is um, a second don't know a second kind of filtering or manipulation like you have it on the internet on China where you can't access mm -hmm. certain websites. Right. Yeah. Right. That would be the totally disaster for me or what happened in Turkey. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm speaking to a Turkish uh, woman and even she told me, did, did you hear in the media what, what our president did? Stupid blocking Facebook and YouTube? How silly is that? What, what I found interesting, for example, in Latin America, in Brazil, people are going a lot on the streets mm -hmm. and protesting against unfairness and about things the government is doing. And I think Americans and Europeans, we don't have this kind of 
um, well, mentality to go on the street. Right, yeah, because so it's it's that, cold that on the much. street. It's it's cold out there, and who wants to do that? You know, I, I don't. <laughs> that's that's really the kind of one of the the big problems that we have and and, and then people also they they say you know that's a more key, you know buzzwords come out of the the government and they say you know oh we we we're with all this surveillance you know we've prevented you know 15 terror attacks and people people here are still kind of shell-shocked a little bit by the whole by by 9-11 and they think you know you you, you start throwing that that terminology around and it's almost like well if we stop doing this then they're going to do that again and everyone here is well, like well keep doing I, it then I, well well i have i have seen statistics and i i've read about it and they say that since 9-11 usa didn't get more secure oh absolutely not this this whole and thing the same is happening in uk where they put out more and more cameras mm -hmm. outdoors on every street Right, and it's not getting more secure, not right. at all. Right, and the people that they have, you know, that that are are doing a lot of the security, uh, you know, again, I was just away for a, a, a few days, and I took a, a, a flight out there, a, a long, you know, six hour flight out to Washington State, and the people that have that are that are running security there, you know, you have to go through all these checkpoints, and you get X rayed, it's you know, body scanned, and all this stuff. I mean, I'm walking up there, and there's a woman holding. You know, in uniform, holding an iPad, and the iPad has an arrow on it, and it's telling her what to do. You walk up, and she's like, "Go that way." Like the the iPad has to tell her how to do her job while she's doing it. <laughs> and I went through the uh, the checkpoint. You know, it's a, it's a, a metal detector and like the big X ray scanner that shows your whole body. And I had forgotten to take you. Know, you got to take all metal things off. I forgot to take my iPad iPod out of my pocket. They didn't say a word. There was no no beep. No one said anything. I know they could see it because it's a big metal and glass thing in my pocket. But nobody nobody mentioned or said anything. And I'm like, this could be, you know, I could have anything in there. It just it stunned me because I had gone there kind of nervous because I don't fly all that often, at least not on big airlines. And uh, you know, I was I was worried about bringing you know my 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 allergy medicine because they might think I'm smuggling crack or something, you know, and. and so I went there with the, the bare minimum, you know, getting ready to be searched and all, and, and I'm going through with, with, you know, iPods in my pocket, and they're not even paying attention to me. You know, the level of security, so we have that on one level, and then we have, you know, these, these shadow government agencies that are, that are collecting every tiny bit of data that they possibly can about us. And it's like, where is this really, you know, like, where's the, the kind of comfy middle point? You know, can yeah. we really be secure and you know, and, and have that kind of security without being being checked, or is something like a nine eleven just one of those things that is eventually, occasionally going to happen that we just have to deal with? Did I feel more insecure before all this war? Uh, well, all that um, fight against terror? No, I didn't feel more insecure. All right, now. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think I. Um, I have I have won more security by more observation and surveillance, not 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 any no, not any bit. Not, not at, at all. all. In, in fact, you know, you were when, when you came and visited me, York. You were uh, surprised at our police here because they're, they're they're militant here. You know, they, they if you're sitting in the wrong part of town, they will come over and be like, "Why are you here?" Yeah, I remember that. We were they, they the dragged you out of the they yeah the town, they dragged you out of the were, car and asked for your ID. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And they, they suspected us 
to be drug dealers because we were two white guys in a yep. black part of the town, mm -hmm. and we 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 were we were not supposed to be in the parking lot waiting for somebody. Right, right. Oh no! Totally crazy. Yeah, totally yeah. Crazy. I mean, it's it's such a almost militant thing, and and uh, you know, you told me that you know in in Germany they 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 help you. You know, they're 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 there to help. I would never, you know, and, and people in the U.S., you know, if they need help, if they're lost or something, you never talk to a police officer. You know, that that's that's the last thing you do. You know, you talk to the drug dealer down the street or something, or the or the bum or whatever before you talk to the police officer. That's really yeah. It's it's really a very very strange kind of kind of system. But again, it all goes back to you know this this kind of whole surveillance and, and, and just the general control that the government is now putting over everything. Well, unfortunately, it's not only happening in Europe and not only happening in the USA. When I was in Peru going to Lima last year, my, my, my baggage was scanned. I had to go through a metal detector. I had to fill out custom papers three times and I asked the customer, um, I, I asked the border patrol um, Inspector, do I really have to fill out the papers three times? And he said, "Yeah, sure. You have to write it same time. Uh, you have to write it three times just for for a little stamp in my um, travel documents, and then saying welcome to Peru." And that was the whole thing. Right. And and I had to press a button in front of the metal detector when I handed over the customs paper, and I forgot. To press the button, I didn't see the button, and then the airport security was screaming after me, "Yuck, yuck! Return, return! Come back, come back!" And I was saying, "Why?" He said, "You have to press the button, or else you you are well, you are not secure. You you may not pass if you don't press the button." So, totally crazy, and this whole thing that took half an hour for mm -hmm. for nonsense. Really right. nonsense. Yeah? Right, right. They, they, they didn't even take fingerprints or something. They are not as technically advanced as the USA. Hmm. They were just, um, well, faking improved security. Right, yeah, they're just... In, that was my... Impression. Yeah, almost just being intimidating, you know. We'll, we'll, people won't try to smuggle a bomb on board because, you know, because we'll, we'll make it look like we're, we're doing something. This is totally incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this, and, this too, we can go and you know we can we can think too about um, as the as they they focus more control on this stuff. You know, a, a lot of this comes down to like you were saying, blocking certain websites or like like China, where it's a uh, almost a closed system. You know, and that's we're, we're having a lot of that play out here with the battle over net neutrality. And I I believe I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but I I think that there was just actually a, a big loss for net neutrality here. Uh, some kind of bill just went through saying that companies could own parts of it and you know the fast lanes and and whatnot for for that. So what what do you think of of should anybody control the internet or or should that just be a, a big wide open free for all? I think it should be uh, be free for everybody. Um, but um, what uh, I was already speaking about with uh, Jörg before we began our uh, podcast was a big takeover from Google from Nest Labs. Maybe you heard about it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're building in the USA um, 
Um, I don't know the name. Thermostates? Was heißt Thermostate auf Englisch? Oh, Thermostat. Thermostat. Ja. Uh, yeah. uh, they, 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 they paid uh, 3.2 billion US dollars for it. And only a few days afterwards, uh, most other um, companies offering the same stuff weren't visible anymore in Google. Mm. And uh, that's also a question of net neutrality. Uh, if uh, Google is um, blocking uh, companies whose, who are competitors uh, to, to themselves, and, and that's not the first time uh, that uh, such a company with uh, a, a monopole um, or I don't know how many percent uh, percent we have here in Germany. Ninety, ninety-five. Mm -hmm. So I using Google, and it's here in Germany. We had uh, comparable problems with the German uh, Telekom, that's an uh, internet service provider, and uh, they they wanted uh, to um, to 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 transform. Uh, uh, a flat rate into a paid model so you had only uh, I think one or two gigabytes of transfer each month and uh, afterwards they wanted to um, uh, to give everybody a very very slow connection uh, to the internet and uh, people uh, were upset because of that And uh, it, that's also a question of uh, net uh, neutrality because uh, for their own services uh, like uh, enter TV and entertainment uh, systems, they didn't want to, uh, to collect the, the megabyte of data. I, I think that's, uh, that will be a big problem uh, in the next years. Uh, the net neutrality and um, uh, especially it, 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 it should be a high task for politicians to uh, monitor uh, big companies um, inside uh, Germany and outside of Germany uh, if, uh, if they provide net neutrality so I think it will. This this problem will uh, continue, and uh, people won't go on the streets because of that problem, uh, as they don't go on the streets because of uh, surveillance. Right, and because it's too cold. And, uh, so I guess nothing will happen. Well, so this is a devil cycle. Yeah. So there's not really <laughs> much you could do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess. I guess this actually was our last topic. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we, got, we got it all covered. Nice. Okay. Plus, plus even more. <laughs> so, perfectly in time, and we got it all covered. <laughs> well, so, uh, cool. thank you, Lars, for being our guest today. Yes, is there, a, is there a website where people can see uh, what you do or can contact you? Yeah, uh, townkappe.info. I don't know how to spell it correctly. Jörg, can you help? Okay, yes, sure. That would be T-A-R-N-K-A-P-P-E dot info. And um, it would be 
would be in German. Um, but of course, you could use Google Translator. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And we'll put a link to that in the uh, in the podcast description, yep. so people can visit that. And uh, well, thank you very much for your time, sir. Yeah, thank you. And once again, Lars's website where you can follow him is tarnkappa.info. That's T-A-R-N-K-A-P-P-E dot info. And that is in German, but you can, of course, Google Translate that into English. Um, you can follow us at SceneWorld at sceneworld.org. You can check out what Jorg is doing over at nafcom.eu. That's N-A-F-C-O-M dot E-U. And my website is justwestofhell.com, which may be updated sometime this year. For Jorg sitting across the table, uh, my name is AJ, and this was the Scene World Podcast. Good night. <laughs>